Section 8 of South Sea Tales by Jack London. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Terrible Solomons. There is no gainsaying that the Solomons are a hard bitten bunch of islands. On the other hand, there are worse places in the world. But to the new chum who has no constitutional understanding of men and life in the rough, the solomons may indeed prove terrible it is true that fever and dysentery are perpetually on the walkabout that loathsome skin diseases abound that the air is saturated with a poison that bites into every pore cut or abrasion and plants malignant ulcers and that many strong men who escape dying there return as wrecks to their own countries it is also true that the natives of the solomons are a wild lot with a hearty appetite for human flesh and a fad for collecting human heads their highest instinct of sportsmanship is to catch a man with his back turned and to smite him a cunning blow with a tomahawk that severs the spinal column at the base of the brain it is equally true that on some islands such as malaita the profit and loss account of social intercourse is calculated in homicides heads are a medium of exchange and white heads are extremely valuable very often a dozen villages make a jackpot which they fatten moon by moon against the time when some brave warrior presents a white man's head fresh and gory and claims the pot all the foregoing is quite true and yet there are white men who have lived in the solomons a score of years and who feel homesick when they go away from them a man needs only to be careful and lucky to live a long time in the solomons but he must be also of the right sort he must have the hallmark of the inevitable white man stamped upon his soul he must be inevitable he must have a certain grand carelessness of odds a certain colossal self-satisfaction and a racial egotism that convinces him that one white is better than a thousand niggers every day in the week and that on sunday he is able to clean out two thousand niggers for such are the things that have made the white man inevitable oh and one other thing the white man who wishes to be inevitable must not merely despise the lesser breeds and think a lot of himself he must also fail to be too long on imagination he must not understand too well the instincts customs and mental processes of the blacks the yellows and the browns for it is not in such fashion that the white race has tramped its royal road around the world bertie arkwright was not inevitable he was too sensitive too finely strung and he possessed too much imagination the world was too much with him he projected himself too quiveringly into his environment therefore the last place in the world for him to come was the solomons he did not come expecting to stay a five-week stopover between steamers 
he decided would satisfy the call of the primitive he felt thrumming the strings of his being at least so he told the lady tourists on the makembo though in different terms and they worshipped him as a hero for they were lady tourists and they would know only the safety of the steamer's deck as she threaded her way through the solomons there was another man on board of whom the ladies took no notice he was a little shriveled wisp of a man with a withered skin the color of mahogany his name on the passenger list does not matter but his other name captain malu was a name for niggers to conjure with and to scare naughty piccaninnies to righteousness from new hanover to the new hebrides he had farmed savages and savagery and from fever and hardship the crack of snyders and the lash of the overseers had wrested five millions of money in the form of bechdemer sandalwood pearl shell and turtle shell ivory nuts and copra grasslands trading stations and plantations captain malou's little finger which was broken had more inevitableness in it than bertie arkwright's whole carcass but then the lady tourists had nothing by which to judge save appearances and bertie certainly was a fine-looking man bertie talked with captain malou in the smoking-room confiding to him his intention of seeing life red and bleeding in the solomons captain malou agreed that the intention was ambitious and honorable it was not until several days later that he became interested in bertie when that young adventurer insisted on showing him an automatic forty-four caliber pistol bertie explained the mechanism and demonstrated by slipping a loaded magazine up the hollow butt it is so simple he said he shot the outer barrel back along the inner one that loads it and cocks it you see and then all i have to do is pull the trigger eight times as fast as i can quiver my finger see that safety clutch that's what i like about it it is safe it is positively foolproof he slipped out the magazine you see how safe it is as he held it in his hand the muzzle came in line with captain malou's stomach captain malou's blue eyes looked at it unswervingly would you mind pointing it in some other direction he asked it's perfectly safe bertie assured him i withdrew the magazine it's not loaded now you know a gun is always loaded but this one isn't turn it away just the same captain malou's voice was flat and metallic and low but his eyes never left the muzzle until the line of it was drawn past him and away from him i'll bet a fiver it isn't loaded bertie proposed warmly the other shook his head then i'll show you bertie started to put the muzzle to his own temple with the evident intention of pulling the trigger just a second captain malou said quietly reaching out his hand let me look at it he pointed it seaward and pulled the trigger a heavy explosion followed instantaneous with the sharp click of the mechanism that flipped a hot and smoking cartridge sideways along the deck 
Bertie's jaw dropped in amazement. I slipped the barrel back once, didn't I? he explained. It was silly of me, I must say. He giggled flabbily and sat down in a steamer chair. The blood had ebbed from his face, exposing dark circles under his eyes. His hands were trembling and unable to guide the shaking cigarette to his lips. The world was too much with him, and he saw himself with dripping brains prone upon the deck. Really, he said, really. It's a pretty weapon, said Captain Malou, returning the automatic to him. The commissioner was on board the Makembo, returning from Sydney, and by his permission a stop was made at Ugi to land a missionary. And at Ugi lay the catch, Arla, Captain Hansen, skipper. Now the Arla was one of many vessels owned by Captain Malou, and it was at his suggestion, and by his invitation, that Bertie went aboard the Arla as guest for a four days recruiting cruise on the coast of Malaita. Thereafter, the Arla would drop him at Rominga Plantation, also owned by Captain Malou, where Bertie could remain for a week and then be sent over to Talaji, the seat of government, where he would become the commissioner's guest. Captain Malou was responsible for two other suggestions which given he disappears from this narrative one was to captain hansen the other to mr harrywell manager of verminga plantation both suggestions were similar in tenor namely to give mr bertram arkwright an insight into the rawness and redness of life in the solomons also it is whispered that captain Malou mentioned that a case of scotch would be coincidental with any particularly gorgeous insight mr arkwright might receive yes schwartz always was too pig-headed you see he took four of his boat's crew to Tulagi to be flogged officially you know then started back with them in the whaleboat it was pretty squally and the boat capsized just outside schwartz was the only one drowned of course it was an accident was it really bertie asked only half interested staring hard at the black man at the wheel oogie had dropped astern and the arla was sliding along through a summer sea toward the wooded ranges of malaita the helmsman who so attracted bertie's eyes sported a ten-penny nail stuck skewerwise through his nose about his neck was a string of pants buttons thrust through holes in his ears were a can opener the broken handle of a toothbrush a clay pipe the brass wheel of an alarm clock and several winchester rifle cartridges on his chest suspended from around his neck hung the half of a china plate some forty similarly apparelled blacks lay about the deck fifteen of which were boats crew the remainder being fresh labor recruits. Of course it was an accident, spoke up the Arla's mate, Jacobs, a slender, dark-eyed man who looked more a professor than a sailor. Johnny Bedip nearly had the same kind of accident. He was bringing back several from a flogging when they capsized him. 
but he knew how to swim as well as they and two of them were drowned he used a boat stretcher and a revolver of course it was an accident quite common them accidents remarked the skipper you see that man at the wheel mr arkwright he's a man-eater six months ago he and the rest of the boat's crew drowned the captain of the arla they did it on deck sir right aft there by the mizzen traveller the deck was in a shocking state said the mate do i understand bertie began yes just that said captain hansen it was an accidental drowning but on deck just so i don't mind telling you in confidence of course that they used an axe this present crew of yours captain hansen nodded the other skipper always was too careless explained the mate he but just turned his back when they let him have it we haven't any show down here was the skipper's complaint the government protects a nigger against a white every time you can't shoot first you've got to give the nigger first shot or else the government calls it murder and you go to fiji that's why there's so many drowning accidents dinner was called and bertie and the skipper went below leaving the mate to watch on deck keep an eye out for that black devil awiki was the skipper's parting caution i haven't liked his looks for several days righto said the mate dinner was part way along and the skipper was in the middle of his story of the cutting out of the scottish chiefs yes he was saying she was the finest vessel on the coast but when she missed stays and before she ever hit the reef the canoes started for her there were five white men a crew of twenty santa cruz boys and samoans and only the supercargo escaped besides there were sixty recruits they were all kaikaid kaikai oh i beg your pardon i mean they were eaten then there was the james edwards a dandy rigged but at that moment there was a sharp oath from the mate on deck and a chorus of savage cries a revolver went off three times and then was heard a loud splash captain hansen had sprung up the companionway on the instant and bertie's eyes had been fascinated by a glimpse of him drawing his revolver as he sprang bertie went up more circumspectly hesitating before he put his head above the companionway slide but nothing happened the mate was shaking with excitement his revolver in his hand once he startled and half jumped around as if danger threatened his back one of the natives fell overboard he was saying in a queer tense voice he couldn't swim who was it the skipper demanded a wiki was the answer but i say you know i heard shots bertie said in trembling eagerness for he scented adventure and adventure that was happily over with the mate whirled upon him snarling it's a damn lie there ain't been a shot fired the nigger fell overboard captain hansen regarded bertie with unblinking lacklustre eyes i i, I thought bertie was beginning shots said captain hansen dreamily shots did you hear any shots mr jacobs not a shot replied mr jacobs 
the skipper looked at his guest triumphantly and said evidently an accident let us go down mr arkwright and finish dinner bertie slept that night in the captain's cabin a tiny stateroom off the main cabin the forward bulkhead was decorated with a stand of rifles over the bunk were three more rifles under the bunk was a big drawer which when he pulled it out was filled with ammunition dynamite and several boxes of detonators he elected to take the settee on the opposite side lying conspicuously on the small table was the arla's log bertie did not know that it had been especially prepared for the occasion by captain malou and he read therein how on september twenty one two boats crew had fallen overboard and been drowned bertie read between the lines and knew better he read how the arla's whaleboat had been bushwhacked at suu and had lost three men of how the skipper discovered the cook stewing human flesh on the galley fire flesh purchased by the boat's crew ashore in fui and how an accidental discharge of dynamite while signalling had killed another boat's crew of night attacks ports fled from between the dawns attacks by bushmen in mangrove swamps and by fleets of saltwater men in the larger passages one item that occurred with monotonous frequency was death by dysentery he noticed with alarm that two white men had so died guests like himself on the arla i say you know bertie said next day to captain hansen i've been glancing through your log the skipper displayed quick vexation that the log had been left lying about and all that dysentery you know that that's all rot just like the accidental drownings bertie continued what does dysentery really stand for the skipper openly admired his guest's acumen stiffened himself to make indignant denial then gracefully surrendered you see it's like this mr arkwright these islands have got a bad enough name as it is it's getting harder every day to sign on white men suppose a man is killed the company has to pay through the nose for another man to take the job but if the man merely dies of sickness it's all right the new chums don't mind disease what they draw the line at is being murdered i thought the skipper of the arla had died of dysentery when i took his billet then it was too late i'd signed the contract besides said mr jacobs there's altogether too many accidental drownings anyway it don't look right it's the fault of the government a white man hasn't a chance to defend himself from the niggers yes look at the princess and that yankee mate the skipper took up the tale she carried five white men besides a government agent the captain the agent and the supercargo were ashore in the two boats they were killed to the last man the mate and the boatswain with about fifteen of the crew samoans and tongans were on board a crowd of niggers came off from shore first thing the mate knew the boatswain and the crew were killed in the first rush the mate grabbed three cartridge belts and two winchesters and skinned up to the cross trees he was the sole survivor and you can't blame him for being mad 
he pumped one rifle till it got so hot he couldn't hold it then he pumped the other the deck was black with niggers he cleaned them out he dropped them as they went over the rail and he dropped them as fast as they picked up their paddles then they jumped into the water and started to swim for it and being mad he got half a dozen more and what did he get for it seven years in fiji snapped the mate the government said he wasn't justified in shooting after they'd taken to the water the skipper explained and that's why they die of dysentery nowadays the mate added just fancy said bertie as he felt a longing for the cruise to be over later on in the day he interviewed the black who had been pointed out to him as a cannibal this fellow's name was sumasai he had spent three years on a queensland plantation he had been to samoa and fiji and sydney and as a boat's crew he had been on recruiting schooners through new britain new ireland new guinea and the admiralties also he was a wag and he had taken a line on his skipper's conduct yes he had eaten many men how many he could not remember the tally yes white men too they were very good unless they were sick he had once eaten a sick one my word he cried at the recollection me sick plenty along him my belly walk about too much bertie shuddered and asked about heads sumasai had several hidden the shore in good condition sun-dried and smoke-cured one was of the captain of a schooner it had long whiskers he would sell it for two quid black men's heads he would sell for one quid he had some piccaninny heads in poor condition that he would let go for ten bob five minutes afterward bertie found himself sitting on the companionway slide alongside a black with a horrible skin disease he sheared off and on inquiry was told that it was leprosy he hurried below and washed himself with antiseptic soap he took many antiseptic washes in the course of the day for every native on board was afflicted with malignant ulcers of one sort or another as the arla drew in to an anchorage in the midst of mangrove swamps a double row of barbed wire was stretched around above her rail that looked like business and when bertie saw the shore canoes alongside armed with spears bows and arrows and sniders he wished more earnestly than ever that the cruise was over that evening the natives were slow in leaving the ship at sundown a number of them checked the mate when he ordered them ashore never mind i'll fix them said captain hansen diving below when he came back he showed bertie a stick of dynamite attached to a fish-hook now it happens that a paper-wrapped bottle of chlorodyne with a piece of harmless fuse projecting can fool anybody it fooled bertie and it fooled the natives when captain hansen lighted the fuse and hooked the fish-hook into the tail end of a native's loincloth that native was smitten with so an ardent of desire for the shore that he forgot to shed the loincloth he started forward the few sizzling and spluttering at his rear the natives in his path taking headers over the barbed wire at every jump bertie was horror-stricken so was captain hansen he had forgotten his twenty-five recruits 
on each of which he had paid thirty shillings advance they went over the side along with the shore-dwelling folk and followed by him who trailed the sizzling chlorodyne bottle bertie did not see the bottle go off but the mate opportunely discharging a stick of real dynamite aft where it would harm nobody bertie would have sworn in any admiralty court to a nigger blown to flinders the flight of the twenty-five recruits had actually cost the arla forty pounds and since they had taken to the bush there was no hope of recovering them the skipper and his mate proceeded to drown their sorrow in cold tea the cold tea was in whiskey bottles so bertie did not know it was cold tea they were mopping up all he knew was that the two men got very drunk and argued eloquently and at length as to whether the exploded nigger should be reported as a case of dysentery or as an accidental drowning when they snored off to sleep he was the only white man left and he kept a perilous watch till dawn in fear of an attack from shore and an uprising of the crew three more days the arla spent on the coast and three more nights the skipper and the mate drank over fondly of cold tea leaving bertie to keep the watch they knew he could be depended upon while he was equally certain that if he lived he would report their drunken conduct to captain malou then the arla dropped anchor at rominga plantation on guadalcanar and bertie landed on the beach with a sigh of relief and shook hands with the manager mr harrywell was ready for him now you mustn't be alarmed if some of our fellows seem downcast mr harrywell said having drawn him aside in confidence there's been talk of an outbreak and two or three suspicious signs i'm willing to admit but personally i think it's all poppycock how, how many blacks have you on the plantation bertie asked with a sinking heart we're working four hundred just now replied mr harrywell cheerfully but the three of us with you of course and the skipper and mate of the arla can handle them all right bertie turned to meet one mctavish the storekeeper who scarcely acknowledged the introduction such was his eagerness to present his resignation it being that i'm a married man mr harrywell i can't very well afford to remain on longer trouble is working up as plain as the nose on your face the niggers are going to break out and there'll be another hohona horror here what's a hohona horror bertie asked after the storekeeper had been persuaded to remain until the end of the month oh he means hohono plantation on isabel said the manager the niggers killed the five white men ashore captured the schooner killed the captain and mate and escaped in a body to malaita but i always said they were careless on hohono they won't catch us napping here come along mr arkwright and see our view from the veranda bertie was too busy wondering how he could get away to Talaji to the commissioner's house to see much of the view he was still wandering when a rifle exploded very near to him behind his back 
at the same moment his arm was nearly dislocated so eagerly did mr harrywell drag him indoors i say old man that was a close shave said the manager calling him over to see if he had been hit i can't tell you how sorry i am but it was broad daylight and i never dreamed bertie was beginning to turn pale they got the other manager that way mctavish vouchsafed and a dashed fine chap he was blew his brains out all over the veranda you notice that dark stain there between the steps and the door bertie was ripe for the cocktail which mr harrywell pitched in and compounded for him but before he could drink it a man in riding trousers and putties entered what's the matter now the manager asked after one look at the newcomer's face is the river up again river be blowed it's the niggers stepped out of the cane grass not a dozen feet away and whopped at me it was a snyder and he shot from the hip now what i want to know is where'd he get that snyder oh i beg pardon glad to know you mr arkwright mr brown is my assistant explained mr harrywell and now let's have that drink but where'd he get that snyder mr brown insisted i always objected to keeping those guns on the premises they're still there mr harrywell said with a show of heat mr brown smiled incredulously come along and see said the manager bertie joined the procession into the office where mr harrywell pointed triumphantly at a big packing case in a dusty corner well then where did the beggar get that snyder harped mr brown but just then mctavish lifted the packing case the manager started then tore off the lid the case was empty they gazed at one another in horrified silence harrywell drooped wearily then mctavish cursed what i contended all along the houseboys are not to be trusted it does look serious harrywell admitted but we'll come through all right what the sanguinary niggers need is a shaking up will you gentlemen please bring your rifles to dinner and will you mr brown kindly prepare forty or fifty sticks of dynamite make the fuses good and short we'll give them a lesson and now gentlemen dinner is served one thing that bertie detested was rice and curry so it happened that he alone partook of an inviting omelette he had quite finished his plate when harrywell helped himself to the omelette one mouthful he tasted then spat out vociferously that's the second time mctavish announced ominously harrywell was still hawking and spitting second time what bertie quavered poison was the answer that cook will be hanged that's the way the bookkeeper went out at cape march brown spoke up died horribly they said on the jesse that they heard him screaming three miles away i'll put that cook in irons sputtered harrywell fortunately we discovered it in time bertie sat paralyzed there was no color in his face he attempted to speak but only an inarticulate gurgle resulted 
all eyed him anxiously don't say it don't say it mctavish cried in a tense voice yes i ate it plenty of it a whole plateful bertie cried explosively like a diver suddenly regaining breath the awful silence continued half a minute longer and he read his fate in their eyes maybe it wasn't poison after all said harrywell dismally call in the cook said brown in came the cook a grinning black boy nose spiked and ear-plugged here you wee wee what name that harrywell bellowed pointing accusingly at the omelette wee wee was very naturally frightened and embarrassed him good fella kai kai he murmured apologetically make him eat it suggested mctavish that's a proper test harrywell filled a spoon with the stuff and jumped for the cook who fled in panic that settles it was brown's solemn pronouncement he won't eat it mr brown will you please go and put the irons on him harrywell turned cheerfully to bertie it's all right old man the commissioner will deal with him and if you die depend on it he will be hanged don't think the government'll do it objected mctavish but gentlemen gentlemen bertie cried in the meantime think of me harrywell shrugged his shoulders pityingly sorry old man but it's a native poison and there are no known antidotes for native poisons try and compose yourself and if two sharp reports of a rifle from without interrupted the discourse and brown entering reloaded his rifle and sat down to table the cook's dead he said fever a rather sudden attack i was just telling mr arkwright that there are no antidotes for native poisons except gin said brown harrywell called himself an absent-minded idiot and rushed for the gin bottle neat man neat he warned bertie who gulped down a tumbler two-thirds full of the raw spirits and coughed and choked from the angry bite of it till the tears ran down his cheeks harrywell took his pulse and temperature made a show of looking out for him and doubted that the omelette had been poisoned brown and mctavish also doubted but bertie discerned an insincere ring in their voices his appetite had left him and he took his own pulse stealthily under the table there was no question but what it was increasing but he failed to ascribe it to the gin he had taken mctavish rifle in hand went out to the veranda to reconnoitre they're massing up at the cookhouse was his report and they've no end of snyders my idea is to sneak around on the other side and take them in flank strike the first blow you know will you come along brown harrywell ate on steadily while bertie discovered that his pulse had leaped up five beats nevertheless he could not help jumping when the rifles began to go off above the scattering of snyder's could be heard the pumping of brown's and mctavish's winchesters all against a background of demoniacal screeching and yelling they've got them on the run harrywell remarked as voices and gunshots faded away in the distance 
scarcely were brown and mctavish back at the table when the latter reconnoitered they've got dynamite he said then let's charge them with dynamite harrywell proposed thrusting half a dozen sticks each into their pockets and equipping themselves with lighted cigars they started for the door and just then it happened they blamed mctavish for it afterward and he admitted that the charge had been a trifle excessive but at any rate it went off under the house which lifted up cornerwise and settled back on its foundations half the china on the table was shattered while the eight-day clock stopped yelling for vengeance the three men rushed out into the night and the bombardment began when they returned there was no birdie he had dragged himself away to the office barricaded himself in and sunk upon the floor in a gin-soaked nightmare wherein he died a thousand deaths while the valorous fight went on around him in the morning sick and headachy from the gin he crawled out to find the sun still in the sky and god presumable in heaven for his hosts were alive and uninjured harrywell pressed him to stay on longer but bertie insisted on sailing immediately on the arla for tulagi where until the following steamer day he stuck close by the commissioner's house there were lady tourists on the outgoing steamer and bertie was again a hero while captain malou as usual passed unnoticed but captain malou sent back from sydney two cases of the best scotch whisky on the market for he was not able to make up his mind as to whether it was captain hansen or mr harrywell who had given bertie arkwright the more gorgeous insight into life in the solomons end of the terrible solomons